Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex, I'm one of the two hosts that we have on the show, and with me, in person, live edition, first episode of 2019 is... Hello, Alex. Hello. Hello. Hello, listeners. Um, welcome to 2019. We hope you're having a good time so far in the year. Facts about 2019. Divides by three. Yep. Um, it's only got four factors. Really? Yep. What so the, I, the other thing that um, you multiply by three to get it is prime. So it's four factors are one itself, three, and a prime number. Yep. Hey, pretty good. It's one of those things that you should always check, because a lot of maths puzzles are based on the uh, factorization of a year. The UK Maths Challenge always does stuff related to those facts. Oh, it does. I remember doing from doing the Olympiad in secondary school. Yeah. There was always something about the year that it was. 2012 was, was a nightmare. It's pretty much the only thing you can prep going in. Hmm. So it's something that maths teachers uh, can do to help their kids doing the UK Maths Challenge. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> you're on your own. Yeah. Um, anything else mathsy happened? Uh, we found a new Prime. Merzen Prime, that was fairly recent. Oh yeah, it's yeah. about a year um, since the last one. With the Merzen Primes, we've got the first. I think it's about forty-nine of them, somewhere in that region, forty-seven mm. or something. Mm. Uh, that we know there's definitely not other ones in that region. Because we checked. Yeah. Okay. But we've got five or six after that where um, we don't definitely know that there's not ones in between. Mm. I believe someone also set up an equation that calculates the first 51 primes, something like that. Did you see this? Uh, not the first 51 primes, but the 50 in a row, 50 in a row from yeah. a generating formula, which yeah. is massive. That's big for a generating formula, right? Where you just put in one number and then another number, and then it spits out a prime each time. Yeah. yeah. It's like that Euler quadratic, the n squared plus n plus 41, mm. where if you keep putting in values of n where they're integer... Yeah. yeah, loads of primes in a row. Okay. Um, but if you put in n equals 41, clearly it has a factor of 41. Yes. Um, so it's, it's a common one used by maths teachers as a, an example of a counterexample. Because you can't you can't have anything like that with a constant in it, surely then, because you would always just have one factor of that. Yes. But then you also can't not, because if everything is some multiple of n or some multiple of squares of n, yeah. then you're also going to have that factor. So you're gonna you're gonna go wrong eventually. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, have you heard of Ulam's spiral? Yes, but I don't know where from. Um, so if you keep, if you start off with one. Oh, this is the spiral, the prime spiral thing on the grid. Yeah, yeah. You start off with one. You put the number two next to it, and then you keep uh, writing them not in a line, but going round and round in a circle on a square grid. Uh, then the diagonals tend to have primes more often than other places mm. and if you keep zooming out it's really quite striking but you don't have to start at one in the middle if you start with 41 and then go 42 43 44 etc yeah. going around you get some really quite striking diagonals mm. for a while right it's one of those things where you can look at primes and we often think of them as completely random yeah but there's structure there there's something going on it's such a mystery <laughs> It's it's weird that we're, we're so well. Obviously, we try super hard to try and calculate like where the primes are, but it's it's fascinating that there's this like deep mystery of these numbers with these very particular properties that make up all other numbers, and yet we don't know yep. where the next one is. People, it's it's not yeah. That, I don't think that's emphasized enough to like students in mathematics and stuff like that. That it's like it's not over. 
we're still working out what uh, what's prime and what's and where they're from. I don't want it to be over. Hmm. Well, tough luck because it probably will be at some point. <laughs> uh, right. So, if you're not familiar with the show and you're listening for the first time, 2019, someone said, you know, uh, oh, I'm gonna start listening to maths podcast, or maybe you've like because Numberphile have a podcast now, and you're like, oh, I wonder what the other maths podcasts are, and this is the first episode out since like they did that, yep. maybe. Then the way this show works is that uh, we each bring puzzles to talk about with each other or, you know, mathematically interesting things to talk about with each other, games maybe. Um, and normally Alex starts, so let's go. I, as so often with Finding New Mouse Things, was going around Wikipedia. Okay. And I was, I was reading up on angles, because angles are quite a hard thing to define. There's something that we use all the time. Hmm. But actually getting a definition for what is an angle is... is an angle, yeah. Um, it's quite hard. Um, and on the bottom of the Wikipedia page, there was a thing called spread. Spread. Like, okay, what's that? Mm. And I followed it. This led me down rather a rabbit hole. It's nothing just solid angles, is it? it no, it's not a 3D thing like okay. that. It, it's an alternative way. It's part of something called rational geometry. And most of this was devised by a mathematician called Norman Wilderberger in 2005. He wrote a book called Divine Proportions. Okay. And the Wikipedia page was interesting because it it kind of starts off with saying, uh, this has not quite reached uh, mainstream mathematics yet. <laughs> and it was full of little caveats, um, kind of defending itself. And when something defends itself and you haven't heard any criticism of it yet, you know it's going to be a bit interesting. Right. Um, and I found his YouTube channel, and it starts off with a lot of... Uh, Comments ta- taking down the mathematical orthodoxy and things. Oh, God. So okay. let's dive in. Yeah. Um, rational geometry deals with geometric things, but it, it doesn't use real numbers. It just uses rationals the whole way through. Uh, okay. We're sitting at a circular table right now. <laughs> Carry on. Um, the, the idea being that before people like Gauss and Euler... Mm we were less happy to use infinite series collapsing down on things. Right. In modern mathematics, we use them all the time. So defining things like sine and cos, yeah. you need infinite series of things. Yeah. And you need to be able to say that these things converge. Hmm. That's not obvious. Well, we didn't, like, so calculus didn't use the infinitesimal until Cauchy in, like, 1800 and something. Hmm. Like, even Newton was just like, yeah, if this keeps getting smaller and smaller, it gets kind of close to it, but he wasn't willing to say... Let it go to infinity. Like, yeah. it wasn't like a... It was just like you just increasingly uh, smaller ratios. And one day, listeners, one day I will extract my bachelor's thesis from the laptop on my <laughs> my old broken laptop, and I'll go through the history of Newton's second law on the show. But yes. Your, um, your thing of why F doesn't equal MA. F does not equal MA. That's yeah. my, my, uh, what I did for my physics uh, uh, like extended essay was F does not equal MA. Yeah, yeah you, you brought it up. I think it was episode 17 or 18. Mm. And... Um, it's a long time ago. Go through it in detail. Yeah. Um, if you look at how geometry was done in ancient Greece, yes. So elements of Euclid. Yeah. Um, they didn't really talk about distances. They talked about them in the same way that you could say two things were equal if you could kind of pick one distance up and put it on to the other one. They they had some apparatus for doing that. Okay. Using straight edges and compass, but yeah. essentially. You wouldn't enumerate these things. You'd just say these two things are equal. These two things are equal, yeah. Similarly with area, there are ways of kind of cutting up areas and reconfiguring the shapes until you get the same 
area. Right, like like visual proofs for Pythagoras theorem and stuff like that, yeah. where you move things around. Yeah. So Pythagoras' example is a good example of this sort of thing. In, if you draw your right angle triangle, mm. and on each of the sides you construct a square, which is an easy process to do with a straight edge and compass, yeah. then Pythagoras, it, we're not talking about the distances. We're talking about if you reassemble this small square and this other small square, we can make this other square. Yeah. There's no numbers there. Yeah. And if all of your points defining your triangle were on rational points, so each coordinate is an ordered pair of rational numbers, then the squares of these things are all rational numbers as well. It all lines up, yeah. Whereas the distances aren't necessarily... No, that's true. Rational. Yeah. And so we're going to define the square of something. So if you have a side and you construct a square on it, we're going to call that the quadrants of something. The square of a length is called the quadrant of it. Yeah, the quadrants. And... We're going to be dealing just with quadrants. We're not going to be talking about distances. Ah, quadrants, C-E on the end. Yeah. Quadrants. Okay. So um, Pythagoras' theorem is um, Q1 plus Q2 equals Q3. (laughs) Nice. I like it already. Okay. It's simpler, right? Yeah, yeah. And all of those things are guaranteed to be rational if the points were rational. Mm. We we don't have to accept the existence of real numbers to talk about these things. Right. Um, so, if two things are perpendicular, then that. Mm. If that, then they're perpendicular. Yeah. Similarly, if we want to talk about if uh, three points are collinear, because that's the other example, it's like saying that if you've got um, three points, A, B, and C, yeah. and going from A to B, and going from A to C, there's a parallel. Yeah. So, it's like the opposite. Yeah, they're in a line. Yeah. Then the formula for that is Q1 plus Q2 plus Q3, Yeah. all squared, is two times Q1 squared plus Q2 squared plus Q3 squared. This is called the triple quad law. And like the um, the Pythagoras one, they're perpendicular of Q1 plus Q2 plus Q3. Q squared. We're not even talking about yeah, like, we're going the, 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 the vector squared. It's... But by talking about Q rather than the distances of these things, yeah. everything is rational. It turns mm. it into a purely algebraic in a nice rational domain way. This is mind-blowing. Please continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Rational geometry is built on five laws. So you've got those two. One's dealing with parallel, one's dealing with perpendicular. And then we've got three dealing with um, triangles. So you know at school when you learnt equivalences of triangles. Yeah. You talk about side angle side. Yeah, or that thing where you you have two lines that are in an X. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have three other formulas which are kind of the, the similar sort of things. Okay. So if you know some things about a triangle, you can construct other things. We're used to that with the language of, say, using the sine rule and using the cosine rule. Yeah, we'd use trig to, yeah. Yeah. Well, trig is problematic in rational geometry because you get irrational things. Right. So... Because it's based on an infinite series. Yes. Yeah. Um, to properly define sine and cos, you need calculus. Yeah. And so in the school system, when we introduce trig before calculus yeah we're slightly doing a disservice we're um we're bodging it and saying oh no look it's just this function you stick stuff into yeah but that's a cheat really sine and cos these come from the infinite series mm. and so we have to define calculus first yeah uh rational geometry gets around that instead of talking about angle we're going to talk about spread spread <laughs> so continue the idea is it's still going to be rational um, so you know how we define sine normally. Say we have a, a horizontal line, and we have a line crossing it at some angle. Yeah. And 
we could uh, go some way along that diagonal line, draw a vertical line, make it into a right angle triangle. Yeah. And we define sine as the length of that vertical line, the line segment, yeah. over the length of the hypotenuse, the diagonal line. Yes. With spread, we're going to say the spread of something is the quadrants of that vertical yeah. line segment yeah. over the quadrants of the hypotenuse. If we cheat and we talk about it in old geometry terms, it's like opposite squared over hypotenuse squared. Yeah. But these aren't distances, these are quadrances. These are right, nice rational right. things. Yeah, exactly. So the spread of something is just that. Mm. It's quadrants over quadrants, which is rational. Because it's a rational number over a rational number. Yeah. Right. And so if we use these spreads, yeah. we can get three other laws. They're kind of the equivalent to the cosine rule and the sine rule, yeah. which tell us about things. So the spread law is that the spread, so S1 over Q1, the spread of something over the quadrants opposite it. The opposite quadrants, yeah. Is equal to S2 over Q2, which is equal to S3 over Q3. Oh, okay, that's the same as the, 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 the sine, sine law, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's essentially the sine rule squared. Squared. Yeah. Just square both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the cross law is like the cosine rule. It looks a bit freakier. But it's Q1 plus Q2 minus Q3 all squared. U1. Which which one's Q1 and Q2 again? It doesn't matter. Okay. You can rotate these around as, mu- as much as you want. Okay. Like with but the cosine rule. One of them's got to be the, hypo- the hypotenuse quadrants, right? These are general triangle laws. Okay. So oh, general the, triangle laws. Okay. In the same way that sine and cos are um, right. for any triangle. Yeah, yeah. So Q1 plus Q2 minus Q3 all squared is 4 times Q1, Q2 multiplied by 1 minus the spread of 3. It looks a bit weird, mm. but 1 minus the spread of 3, it's, if you think what spread is, it's like sine squared. Yeah. So 1 minus sine squared is cos squared. Right, okay. So w- what we've it's got... It's 4 something something cos squared. Yeah. We, we've got the, the cosine rule just squared. basically cosine rule squared, yeah. Um, and then one final one that links everything together, it looks weird. It's called the triple spread formula. But if you've got the three spreads, mm. which is a bit like having the three angles, yeah. then you can define another law. It's longer. I'm not going to bother saying it, yeah. but it makes everything complete. Mm. Um, so if you've got three pieces of information that aren't just the three sides, yeah, then you can work out everything else. Now, this feels fine at first. Um, however, spread is weirder than you think. Okay. So when we, if you talk about twice the angle of something... Mm then it, it, it's like physically, if you put two of them together, yeah. it, it makes that. Oh, that's not how spread works. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to do some equivalences here, spread of zero is zero degrees. Spread of zero is zero degrees. Okay. Spread of a quarter is 30 degrees. 30? Okay. Spread of a half is 45 degrees. So notice there that two spreads of quarter doesn't make a spread of a half it's not proportional to how much uh, it's like fanned out a quarter is 30 degrees half is 45 degrees hmm three quarters is 60 and then one is 90 okay yeah so it's like not proportional it's not how we used to do no it's funny behaviour it slows down in the middle and then speeds up yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've seen a tool online which you can print out which is a protractor for spread yeah and it looks almost logarithmic. Mm. Um, it's a weird scale. That is weird. How does it go beyond that? Well, spread... If you extended the two lines... Yeah. 
they actually meet at two different kind of angles. So if, sure, yeah. So um, spread doesn't determine between them. So spread of a quarter is both thirty degrees and one hundred and fifty. Because it's the squared function, yeah. so there must be two solutions. It, yeah, they always add up to one hundred and eighty. Right, right. So um, going zero up to one, mm. which you can make of a zero degrees up to 90 degrees yeah if you then go one down to zero again you go 90 degrees it does it in reverse down to 180 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which is fine because we're not saying which angle we want lines meet at two different angles mm. if we say we want the acute one that's fine it's well defined yeah but Norman Wildberger argues that this is how we should be teaching geometry at schools why <laughs> because when we're teaching these things what we want is a narrative of Prove a thing from existing knowledge. Mm. So the existing knowledge we need here is how to solve algebraic things and just arithmetic. Yeah. And we want to then use those things to build bigger things. Using something which we require calculus to be able to define. Yeah. I would perhaps argue that the orthodoxy would say, Norman, that's his name, right? Yep. Norman, you've got a good point. Why are we teaching trig? Doesn't make no sense. You know, Alex tried to do this thing with the along function and the up function. That was pretty good, but still not good enough. Um fine we'll just teach calculus first yep is it possible to teach calculus first or is that that's just it's just too complex relative to trigonometry I don't, I don't think so mm. I, I, I think that's fine yeah. um, and actually some of these calculations become easier mm. so you know when you're learning trig at school yeah and there are some triangles that you see again and again so you see the 90 45 45 yeah which is like the 1 1 root 2 and you see the 90, 30, 60. Yeah. The, uh, the 1, the 2, and the root 3 in it. Yeah. The reason that we keep using those, and the reason that you keep seeing like the 3, 4, 5, and the 5, 12, 13, is because there are so few triangles that have nice numbers on them. Yeah. Pythagorean triples get strange. They, well, get, they get weird and annoying. If you're dealing with quadrants, because you're talking about the squares of all these things, it it's fine. So, because Pythagoras' law is q1 plus q2 equals q3, mm. if you're dealing with the 2, 11, 13, those are quadrants there, yeah, triangle, yeah. then to find the spreads of these things, that, that's, that's fine. That's fine. It's just all just nice numbers. So the spread of... Okay, so take the 2, two 11, 13. Yep. Right, which you just used. Um, presumably those are random numbers. Uh, yep, they're just ones that add up. To... Those are the quadrants. Oh, they, yeah, they, they add up to each other, right? Yeah. The, the two smaller ones add up to the bigger one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this works on any type of triangle too, right? Yeah. So, wait, not, so, not just right angle. So, right angle, they obey Pythagoras if they're right angle. Pythagoras is Q1 Of course they do, of course they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you could just do the 1, 2, 3. Yeah. The, the, okay, so let's take the 1, 2, 3 triangle. Yeah. And then the spreads all... Yeah, that all just yeah. sort of works. And, it's yeah. one over three or two over three, depending on uh, which one you're trying to look at. You change what the fundamental numbers are for the triangle. Yeah. You're like saying the lengths don't matter. Yeah. What matters is the, the quadrants is. Yeah. And the the sign of the angle doesn't matter. What matters is the spread of the angle. Yeah. It's still a ratio. It's just a slightly different ratio. Right. It's one which means we don't have to extend to the reals. We're in mm. a different field here. Mm. Yeah. Really weird and really interesting. <laughs> also, notice that it's really easy to spot when something is perpendicular in this. Because Q1 plus Q2 equals Q3, that's as simple as you can make an equation. Yeah. Linking three things. It's not as obvious when you're having to square things and 
Right, right. Does this work as a triangle? Does it work as a right angle triangle? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, if it does, how? So, how does this work with um, non right angle triangles? If I know the spreads of things. Yep. So it's in one of the old formulas. There's um, the one that I didn't say out loud, but the triple spread formula. Yeah. Uh, is if you've got two spreads, you want to work out the last spread. Yeah. Notice, actually, that's easier if you're in angles, because they gave you two angles. Yeah, it just adds that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the triple spread formula is the sum of the spreads squared mm. equals two times the sum of the squared spreads yeah. plus four times the product of the spreads. Okay. And if those hold... Then you have a triangle. Yes. Uh, just just a triangle. Yeah. Okay. That, that's the equivalent of your adding together eighty, which is like a little easier in conventional <laughs> mathematics. Yeah. Um, but all this is specifically to avoid irrational numbers. Yeah. Okay. So you can get some really nice results. So if you look at say the platonic solids. Yeah. So we're dealing with three D here. The spreads between the angles. Yeah. Are all rational. Right. Of course. They have to be because yeah. everything else is rational along the way, yeah. And they're actually quite nice. Uh, a lot of them are some ninths. You've got five ninths and eight ninths and that sort of thing between various ones. I can't remember which ones go with which. Yeah. Um, if you want to look more into this, Norman Faldberger has a YouTube channel and he's got about 120 videos. Oh, on rational okay. geometry. And are they all an hour long? <laughs> uh, there's a nice introduction one. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, I I'll put it time linked. Because the first five minutes are him talking about the mathematical orthodoxy. Oh god. Okay. <laughs> once you delve past that, it gets into some nice maths. Right, right, right. Yeah, I once had so I have YouTube videos, youtube.com slash speak math words, don't make them anymore. But I did one maybe about seven, eight years ago on um, infinite series. Okay. Just the just some sums of infinity, just explaining the sums yeah. of infinity. And somebody turned up in my comments section saying there is no, there's no need for infinities in mathematics. Here's how, here's how you can, you can prove the the slope of an angle without like, yeah. without needing an infinity. You just pick two points that like intersect with it. But well, this is it. So it's a branch of mathematics called finitism. Yeah. So I, I know um, Leopold Kronecker, as in the Kronecker Delta, right, uh, was a, a big fan of this. The idea with finitism is, you accept like a smaller set and there are different types of finitism there's yeah. ultra finitism and that sort of thing as well yeah. but finitism is you, you accept the, the small natural numbers you don't accept anything with infinities going on yeah um, I, I, I can't remember the exact quote but it's, it's along the lines of uh, God created the natural numbers everything else is a, a creation of mankind <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you just work from there yeah. and you don't let yourself do anything where you're talking about convergence of Series, but how do you deal with circles and curves and things? This is what I, <laughs> does. Do they refuse to believe in, in circles? If you think about how we usually write Cartesian equations with circles, yeah, oh, it's squares. Yeah, god damn it. <laughs> so you can think of it as you want to have two numbers uh, where you add them together to give some particular constant. Yes, the the set the of constant. numbers where they add together to give a constant. Yeah. Which also happens to be a squared number, usually. Yeah. It's just some the distance constant. from it. Ah, oh, but they don't, like, they don't like distance. They don't care. Yeah. They just say it's just some constant. We don't talk about the radius. It's a bit like you're talking about the area. Mm. The area kind of scaled by this horrible thing called pi. Yeah. But that's fine. But forget about that. <laughs> yeah. 
that's just a quirk. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wonder how you'd expand that to like physics and like the rest of engineering, for example. It's all equivalent, right? You just get used to spreads. Yeah. Yeah. I just when you look when you have a nice formula like kinetic energy is half mv squared. Got a v in it, I suppose. It's got v squared. We like squares. Yeah. You would have to do rational from the ground up. Yeah. But even then you have weirdnesses in special relativity. They have they've got squares, but they've got square roots and this is just talking about geometry. It's yeah. not talking about numbers. I and I suppose finitism in general is talking Would, about. Yeah. yeah. But everything's built on geometry. So I'm a bit of a like a geometry purist, right? But it's just like everything is geometry in the end. Okay. Because yep. all mathematics is on a number line or it's like in a area. It's yep. on the it's on the on the argon diagram. So should be able to do and all all physics is is like different dimensionalities like yeah. if you let's say you've got charge and you've got mass and you've got um and you've got area like that's just those are that's all just like four different dimensions you're just operating in a in a in a grid in some ways physics is a more naturally finitism now that it's all got a bit quantumy yeah it's and, maths that's talking about these infinite series. Yeah. You don't care when you're approximating. If you're only measuring something to a certain number of significant figures... Yeah, then, then it's, it's, all just, it's all just metrology, yeah. You would just say, all right, this is the meter, and everything is just a ratio of that meter. Yeah. And, yeah. Although, again, I don't really like distances in here. Well, what we should do is we should uh, introduce him... <laughs> the guy, we should introduce him to negative bases, <laughs> which, are, which are clearly superior because there's no negative numbers. So let's have finitism and positivism. <laughs> the... <laughs> the only number we accept is one. Yeah. Um... <laughs> the additive prime. I, I think it's nice to get these fundamentals sorted in your mind, because when you learn these things pre-university, you don't have a clear sense of what comes first, what proves what. Yeah. Um, you learn a whole lot of things, so... In geometry, maybe you learn about uh, corresponding and alternating angles, and maybe you learn about Pythagoras. Yeah. But like, there's no narrative here. You're not using one to prove the other. It's not like you know, we're teaching you in the way that it was taught for hundreds of years with um, going through Euclid's elements. Yeah. Um, and even that has its flaws. Euclid's elements. Well, they can't do curved surfaces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked about um, Bertrand Russell's. Oh, um, Bertrand Russell, like dunking on Euclid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But there, there were times at university where I suddenly realised that I had things backwards. So, um, for example, Maclaurin series. Yeah. I met when I was at Six One College, and I uh, you you meet them when you're learning to derive them. So you learn how to derive it for sine or for e or for log of one plus x. Okay. By differentiating repeatedly. Yeah. That spits out each of the constants, and then when I got to university all of these things were defined by the Maclaurin series and we were using some of that to define calculus right it's like wait what yeah. <laughs> this is all circular I can't use calculus to define Maclaurin series and Maclaurin series to define calculus and yeah. I learned that actually the second way is kind of the way that we do it right but I feel like this is another one it's even more fundamental mm. calculus sign I've been doing that for many years yeah and this is what kind of sells me on spread I can understand that it only requires algebra and arithmetic. Yeah. And then you can stop, you can get rid of the pictures. You can just chunk through with solving your algebraic problem. So it's like geometry, but you don't really even need 
no. pictures. I mean, maybe you need to know how things reference each other, right? You've got two triangles attached to each other or something like that. Yeah. But when you have these pictures, you become over-reliant on it. Yeah. So it's it's like... So again, Bertrand Russell's um, critique of Euclid's Elements. Mm. The first um, proposition one of book one of Euclid's Elements has um, a line and you draw a circle where the centre is at one end of the line, the radius is the line, and you draw that circle. Right. And then you do it the other way. So you put the centre of the circle on the other end of the line. Right. Same radius. Yeah. And then where those two circles join at the top, you can construct a triangle there. Yeah. And it is equilateral. Yeah. Because the original line and one of the other lines are both radii of same. one yeah. circle. And it's the shared radius of it, yeah. Yeah, and one of the uh, the axioms here is uh, if A equals B and B equals C, then um, A equals C. Right, but it's using pictures to as an intuition pump, but yep. they're using it as a proof rather than an intuition pump. So the critique here is how do we know those circles intersect? Right. Now, when you're looking at the picture, you're like, well, they do. It's obvious. they do on the picture, yeah. But what we're doing though is we're we're using the picture without building it into the mathematics. Hmm. Yeah. This is me saying it politer than Bertrand Russell did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that's that's a really simple one. But the deeper you go in these sort of things, the more reliant Euclid's Elements becomes in the pictures. Yeah. It's an important book because it it laid the groundwork for doing this axioms, use propositions, make theorems keep going in that sort of way yeah but just the steps it takes are not as robust as we were doing modern mathematics yeah yeah so you're saying that we should just like scrap everything and start using this it's hard to scrap things yeah it's hard to scrap things you know perfect world is that right taoists (laughs) (laughs) hit us up (laughs) Uh, taoists uh using our dozen or number system yeah um it's it's hard to change these things. But I, I think there is some argument here that mm. it might be a good thing. Mm. Just, it's a good thing, but good luck. Norman Fauberger makes claims that it is, you can learn geometry in half the time. <laughs> okay. And I think it's those claims which um, meet the most resistance. Yeah. Um, because even squaring things is complex, right? Yeah. But y- you never deal with the distances. You You're start right. with the quadrants. This has a spread, yeah. Um, but distances are intuitive to people. We talk about distances. Uh, you, you wouldn't say, what's the spread from here to Leeds? <laughs> you talk about the distance from here to Leeds. But you mean the quadrants? Yes, so what's the quadrants from here to Leeds? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's hard to measure a quadrants in any way other than just getting your ruler out, what's measuring that, the distance. That? Yeah, the quadrants from LA to New York is, <laughs> is uh, a certain number of uh, miles squared. We're on a sphere we construct a square going into space yeah uh, yeah yeah it does seem slightly arbitrary to use the quadrants as well in that we live in a 3d universe why don't why not cube it yeah we'd be using the 2d thing rather than the 1d or the 3d right it seems arbitrary. i get why they're doing it yeah So I have a game. We were talking about how we don't have enough games. Okay. And yeah. I have a game within a game. So we, yesterday, the reason we're in the same room together is because Alaric comes down to London sometimes. Most of the time, actually. About half the time. About half the time. Um, when there's a new set of Magic the Gathering released. 
and we mean a new proper set because core sets are terrible. Um, <laughs> whenever there's a new expert expansion of the, the training card game Magic the Gathering, Alaric comes down uh, to visit. So I've got sort of magic in my head a little bit, and there is an interesting game inside Magic the Gathering on a card called Goblin Game. And so, um, okay. have you read Goblin? I know you had it up on your tablet for reference, but have you actually have you read it yet? Um, I skimmed it. Okay. Talk me through what's happening here. Okay. How much do people need to know about Magic the Gathering to understand what we're going to talk about here? So in Magic the Gathering, you have you start the game with 20 life points, and if you hit zero, you lose. Okay. I think that's all people really need to know. And so someone has used a certain amount of resources. I mean, it's quite expensive in the game, but let's forget that it's expensive. Here we have this thing where you are proposing to play a goblin game to your opponent. And the rules of the game are as follows. So, I'll read out the text here. Yeah. Each player hides at least one object. So, object, that's not a thing you imagine at the game. Oh, neither is the word hide. Yeah. <laughs> so, object, it just means things around you, right? Yeah. Okay. But then all players reveal them simultaneously. Each player loses life equal to the number of objects he or she revealed. The player who revealed the fewest objects then loses half his or her life rounded up. If two or more players are tied for fewest, each loses half his life or her life rounded up. Yeah. I, I'm not passing this. What? Okay, so what? So here's, here's what happens. You have a certain amount of life. Let's say we have the same. Let's say we have 20 life. Yeah. Right. Um, we each basically simultaneously say a number. Okay. We each lose... An amount of life equal to the number that we said. Yep. But if you say the least amount, if you say the lowest number, after that you lose half your remaining life again. Okay. So <laughs> if you say too low, you're probably going to have the round down. Yeah. Whereas if you say too high, you're also losing a lot of life. You're losing a lot of life. So, what's the strategy for playing Goblin Game? Okay. Well, let's start on the twenty twenty case. Because okay. Usually, Magic the Gathering we start with twenty life each. Yeah. So that seems the most normal. So this is going to be dependent on how much life everyone has. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, and so, yeah, 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 there's, there's, there's a bit to it. Yeah. There are a finite number of answers, because if you say 20, you're going to lose. There are a finite number of answers, yeah. So, you know you're going to say some number from 0 to 19. Mm. And if you're on 20, there is no point in you saying anything higher than 11. Yeah, because if you said... If you say 1... You go to 19, and if your opponent says anything... Well, your opponent might say zero, but oh, it says at least one item, right? So you have to... Okay, yeah. yeah. So if you say one, that's it. You're you're going down to nine, because you'll, you'll lose one, and then you'll lose half rounded up. Yeah. So you go, you go down to nine. That's the, that's the defeatist <laughs> <laughs> methodology. Okay, so we've got a one to 11. It's a 10 by 10 grid. That's the bound, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think I'm going to do a quick little table here and see if I can find any little patterns in it. Sure. So I'm going to have me going along the bottom and I'm going to have um, you going up the side. Sure. So let's talk about the main diagonal in this first. The main diagonal where you all say the same thing. If we say the same number. Yeah. If we both said one, we'd both lose one plus... How does the rounding down work? Right. So if it's an odd number, you lose the larger amount. Okay, so if we both set one, we lo both lose one. Yeah. So we're on 19. We go to 19. And then we lose an extra 10. Yes. Okay, what happens if we both said two? We'd be on 18, and then we'd. We go down to nine, so it's the same. So the, the loss is 11. 
So there's an odd even parity going on here already. Yes, there is an odd even parity. Yeah. And it feels like you would even not ever say odd or not even say even. I can't think which yet. Mm. You would... Because if if the only options were one and two... You would say two. Yeah, you would say the higher one. Yeah. Because there's a chance your opponent might say one. And then they're, they're the only person who has to lose their life. Yeah. And so you should always say an even number. If you started on an even if number. You're on an even, if you're on an even number of life, you should always say an even number. Okay. That's a good rule. Yeah. That's a very good heuristic. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if we go to three and three, you'd... Go to 17. Yep. And, and then, then you would lose... Half, which is an extra nine. Nine. So you'd lose 12? Yeah. So it goes 12, 12, 13, 13. Presumably it goes 13, 13, 14, 14, all the way up. Yeah. Right. Let's do ones going off that diagonal then. So right. if I said 2 and you said 1 then I'm the one who loses 11. And you don't and you, and you lose 2. Yeah. So along the the lowest horizontal it just matches, right? Except for yeah, and then it's 2 and then 3 and then 4 and then 5 and so on. Yeah. And then this whole thing's symmetrical. We have the same choices as each other. Yes. It depends how you're drawing the grid, right? Because if you're just drawing it for your lots, yeah. which maybe I doesn't look like that's what you're doing, but maybe that's what you should be doing. Or you're drawing two two grids on top of each other, mm. that's fine. Um, yeah, then it is, yeah, then it's, I guess you could call it symmetrical if it's both of us. But if it's just one of you, then there's a whole world, basically one of the quadrants, sorry, one of the, um, one of the halves of this, it's all just the amount that you've written. Yeah, I see. So we've drawn out the grid, and what you have is, let's, the diagonal goes 11, 11, 12, 12, 13, 13, 14, 14, 13, 15. Yep, so Every, it comes in kind of pairs. Come, comes in pairs. Everywhere above that, it says, it's the same as what's on the diagonal. Yep. And everywhere below that, it's the number that you've chosen. The number of objects to reveal that you've chosen. Yep. So, if you picked the lower one, then you're getting either 11... Bit one mm. or eleven, bit two mm. or twelve. If you pick three yeah. or four, and so on. Yeah. If you pick the higher one, you just get whatever you picked. Right. So you just get the integers going up as you pick them. Yeah, exactly. So you have columns here, and you can sum those columns. And the one with the lowest sum must be, assuming your opponent does a random number. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's assume that first. Assuming your opponent is just has no idea what they're doing, and they would just say any number. They, they've worked out the whole 11 thing. But they'll just say... I guess that's actually advantageous, though they might just say something even higher. But let's assume... Um, it's like a max min, or a min-max, or one of the two. Yeah. If you've chosen five, how many fives do you have above it? Okay, so the sum of each column is yeah. 121 minus 10n, where n is which number you said. You've got an odd even parity, how does that work? Oh, yeah. So it's like, no, for, for, for evens it's one of them and for odds it's another. It's not true. Uh, I, I can't do it without doing flaws. Well, you just do the just do the case for odds and the case for evens. Okay. Yeah. We Actually, we've already known that you should only do even if you're even, right? And odd if you're odd. So we should so say here's So here's the, yeah. So I've got the sum of each column if n is an even number. Yeah. As 110... Minus 7n over 2 minus n squared over 2. Can okay. they have a quadratic? So is there a minimum? 
Or does it does it fly away? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, let's differentiate it and see yeah. if the minimum's in the sure. range. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, the minimum is when n is minus 3.5. <laughs> minus 3.5. <laughs> okay. Uh, and does it, is, is it increasing or is it decreasing? Is, is it a... Is it a hill or a valley? We've got 112 for 2 and yep, 120 for 4. It's actually the smallest the better. So assuming your opponent's doing random. Yeah. This is before we we invoke game theory. Um, Small is good. Which makes sense. Mm. But because your opponent's going to react to you, that's hard. This is going to be non-trivial. Yeah. Um, interesting quirk here. Mm. If you hit an negative number of objects. <laughs> right. You can gain life. You can gain life, yeah. <laughs> it says at least one, but <laughs> if that wasn't there, yeah. Negative Graham's number. And then the person who had the lowest loses, and then you would lose half your life, which isn't that bad. Yeah. So you just name... Yeah, yeah. It should be like, if you do negative, it's like twice. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you're on, e on an even amount, if you want 20, that's a relatively intractable game theory problem. It's just who dares wins yep. type situation. Are the numbers... So say you had lots of life. Yeah. Like more than... You, you're never going to lose. Yeah. Um, is there a number which you can say that you can force your opponent who is on 20 life to begin with mm. to lose? Force them to lose. I don't think you can, because they're always going to... They can always just say level. one, yeah. Um, if you have more life than your opponent, you can force them to lose 11. Yeah. If they're, if they're on 20, and you're, and you're on 40... Let's say, let's say you're on 60. Yeah. They're on 20, and you're on 60. They could try and play games. Because they might not know this, and they might go, they might go 19. They might, they might say 19. But you could that just would say... That bad to play. You could just say 20. Yep. Yeah, if they because they could they know you're on a lot of life and they'll the more life you're on, the safer you are to get them. You can just say a big number because it doesn't matter. You can use that as a resource mm. to get them to lose the maximum, mm. which is one plus half of their life. Mm. You could say a safe number to get them to lose the maximum if they choose one yeah. Yeah. or two. Yeah, if they choose a higher amount, even better, right? Yeah. Yep. You would also lose that, yeah. So, this is an odd card to play, because when you play it, mm. it does the same, it's a symmetrical effect. It is symmetrical, yeah. So, it's only good when you are ahead on life, because you can safely force them to lose lots. Yeah, in magic sort of strategy community, this is called a win more card. They're yeah. generally considered not good. If you're winning, you win more. And if you're losing, you don't want to play it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not here to evaluate the card. I'm just here yeah, <laughs> to say, what's the strategy for the game? If you're on less than your opponent, and you play this... It's not good. It's not good. Because they can just say some medium number. You just pick, you just choose one. Yeah. yeah. You won't, Why would you do that? Yeah. You have to assume... You, know, you play it on opponents who can't do this kind of calculation in their head yeah yeah our suggestion to people is probably say two well as a suggestion is even if even if you're uneven and odd <laughs> if you're an odd right okay yeah, yeah so you say one if you're on an odd number yeah one if you're an odd number and two if you're on an even number yeah, yeah. 
um, assuming your opponent, God knows, they'll probably just say five or something. Like this reminds me of when we were at the maths conference and people were doing competitions, the competition competition. Yeah. And so many of the competitions were you had to write some sort of number on a piece of paper and put it in, mm. and the answer was dependent on how many. The parity of the other numbers in there, or yeah. the smallest number that didn't form an arithmetic series with any of the other numbers in the box, mm. or that sort of thing, mm. is self-referential. Yeah, it's convex game theory. Yeah, basically, it's whoever whoever's feeling the most daring. Mm. Um, very red. Very red. Very red. I've got a problem that comes from a practical situation. Okay. Um, You've got a problem in your life. We're going to fix it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in Oxford over New Year's. Okay. And uh, there was a bit where there were five of us. Yep. And four car space. Yeah. Um, Four car seats. Yep. Yeah. And we were trying to get from a house to Spoons Pub. Right. To have breakfast on New Year's Day. Okay. It was much needed. Right. Um... Uh, we set off in the car. The, the idea was we would get most people in the car, one person would start walking, mm. and then uh, what actually happened is the car drove us to the place, then we turned around, picked up the other person, the person who's walking, walking. Right. And, and then got them there, which was the shorter distance. Yeah. As we were in the car, I pointed out, but you don't have to drive us the whole way. A better strategy... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> A better strategy would be to get us some distance along the way. Yeah. Get us, let us get out, go turn around, pick up other person. Yeah. And the optimum here is everyone arrives at the pub at the same time. Okay. Working out the actual distance there, dependent on the uh, the relative velocities of person walking and car speed, it's not as easy as you'd think. I mean, you can crunch through with a whole lot of algebra, but we must go a sort of general way. And I was wondering what would happen if you had... Like, I was wondering if we could generalise this. So let's say you, you have a vehicle where it's got a driver that's going to shuttle people backwards and forwards. Yeah, it's just that you have a vehicle and some number of passengers. Don't worry about the driver. Yeah. And let, let, let's say they could take a one, one person in. Then we could generalise that. Yeah, okay. So they can take one person and you're trying to ferry three people yeah. from a start to an end. Yeah. What's the strategy there? Because the amount of time the car spends going backwards is wasted time. Yeah. The car wants to be going forwards as much as as much as it can. And the amount of forwards and backwards it goes sums to the distance from the house to the pub. Always. If it ends up at the pub. Its final displacement is there, but it would have carried on it would have done some of the bits twice. I don't mean distance, I mean displacement, velocity. Yeah. Hmm. Um not velocity. You know what I mean? Like the, the the vector, the vector distance. So sums to the sums to the vector. It's from... final displacement. Yeah, yeah, displacement. Yeah. So if you had three people you were shepherding about, if it's like one gets in the car, yeah, it starts driving. Yeah. The two other people are walking together. Yeah. At some point, the car is going to zag back towards them. Yeah. Pick up another person. Yeah. It would. I think it would deliver them. It also in symmetric. So I think it would deliver that person to wherever the first person had got to. Because there seems to be a symmetry from the start to the end of this problem. So if it started off with two people walking together, mm. it feels like the end should be two, the other two people walking together. Mm. 
Let's take the basic case. Okay. You've got three people, three passengers in one car. Yep. Plus driver. Um, and let's take a nice ratio between walking speed and driving speed. Let's say you drive twice as fast as you walk. Okay. Which, you know, totally not true, but let's just use that. So how many people are we doing? There's a driver that we don't care about. Yeah. And two there's, other people. There's a car. You want to say two? I think that's the basic case. Yeah. Okay. So, driver takes person one to destination. Towards the destination, but not getting. No, let's. The trivial case is take them all the way to the destination and come back. This is the. This is what. This is what you're claiming is inefficient. Okay. So this yep. is this is a this is a, a flaw. Yeah. A ceiling on 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 the amount of time. A bound. Oh, it's funny how people. Yeah, mathematicians do that, don't they? They say a bound when they don't when, when they don't want to bother to work out whether it's a floor or a ceiling. <laughs> they just that's that's so lazy. Okay. Um, so they take the person, first person, all the way there. In that time, the second person has walked half the way there. Yep. Then they come back and they meet at two thirds of the distance because they're they're going towards each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then they drive the last one third to the destination. So the car is twice as fast. It's gone all the way there. It's gone one third of the way back. And then one third of the way too. So that does it in in car travel units. That's done it in one and two thirds. Okay. Which you're saying is not optimal. Yeah. Right. So I'm suggesting there's some distance here that the car can drop the first person off mm -hmm. away from the finish line. Mm. Then head back. Yeah. Pick up the other person. Yeah. And I think the distance that the other person would have travelled by that point where yep. it gets picked up yep. will be the same as the distance that the car dropped the first person off from because after that the car has to go that final distance. You want them to arrive together. Yep. The time it takes for the car to go from the first starting off point yeah. to where they drop off the first person yeah. plus the time for that person to walk to the place Yeah. that's the total time. That's the total time. Must yeah. must be the same as for the, for the second person to start walking, mm. and then get picked up, get picked up, and, and travel to the thing. Okay, so it's all symmetrical yeah. like that. But the the restraint is the cars need to go backwards, whilst the person behind is going forwards. Yeah, yeah. So if we imagine it, um, let's have I think a distance time graph. Yeah, we'll have. Distance going vertically, yeah. time along the x-axis, yeah. then the gradients here are the velocities. Yeah, so yeah of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so the gradient while you're travelling in a car will be steeper. What we're trying to do is imagine a line going from the origin up, mm -hmm. this is the car's one, mm -hmm. and then imagine it doing the negative version of that gradient going down again as yeah. it reverses, yeah. and then... It's almost like um, bouncing lines when yeah. we were talking about mirrors last yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it's going to go up again, yeah. and it's going to end ex point. exactly where the first person when they got out the car at a less gradient, it will end at the same point, because yeah. the distance and the time must be yeah. equal. Yeah. Okay, so let's define some things with variables, right? Let's put some algebra on this rather than like staring at a diagram, which we were saying 
in problem one is a bad idea. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's there's point there's point one, which is the initial drop off point midway through. Okay. So there's destination big D. Yep. And home big H. Yep. Let's say. And there's point one and point two. And yep. point one is the first point where it stops, and point two is the second point where you stop. The these four points describe a parallelogram. Because I'm not sure they do. You've got the two gradients where you've got two sides, which are the car travelling. Ah, yes. Yes, yeah, no, they do describe parallelogram, yeah. And we've got the two sides where it's the people walking. One is the first person when they get out, there's the effort. So we've got the parallelogram there. Yeah, one load of walking and one load of driving. And those two loads, so the the walk experience for the second passenger from home to point number two is the same as the as the walk experience from point number one to the destination. Yep. Yeah. The extra thing which uh, restricts this parallelogram is the gradient of the car. Yeah. So the first line and the last line. Yeah. Well, the negative version of that gradient, i.e. Yeah. if you've reflected it like in a mirror, yeah. is the point that connects what you were defining as point one and point, point two. Point one and point two, yeah. yeah. So that limits the kind of... The, how slopey this parallelogram is. makes you is. think it's a really tight parallelogram, actually. Well, it, the faster the car is relative to the people, yeah, the, the more the that would be true. If it's the same, if they, if they go the same speed, then you one person it's just walks, a yeah, you'll just walk, and then halfway through, one passenger <laughs> two gets out of the car, and passenger <laughs> one gets out, and they continue to walk next to each other. It's, yeah. it's like if you're tracking yeah. with a, a pack donkey or something. Yeah, exactly. You just, just swap over. Legs. Yeah, the donkey. That's a, a donkey is just a car that goes the same speed as a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, if the car was basically infinitely fast compared with the person, it's a square. It's a square yeah. because it's like the first person, ha- the second person hasn't even set off. No, it's, but... not, it's not a square. It's like a line. So initially, it's a forty-five degree line. Let's say. Yeah, it's a vertical line. It's a vertical line. Dunk. If the car is infinitely, if the car, well, let's not think about if the car is slower than the person because that doesn't seem to make any sense at all. <laughs> um, yeah, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't. Yeah. The whole parallelogram is bounded by the walk speed of the person. So the first part of it, actually, let's say the walk speed of a person is a forty-five degree angle, because we can just choose that. Because it's arbitrary how we stretch and squash the diagram. The first part of it is is the walk speed of a person. Like the walk speed of a person gradient defines the bottom right line. Don't go to like more complex cases for yourself. <laughs> the simpler one. Alaric is drawing a diagram which has like four bounces in it because he's thinking about the next one. Let's solve the simple one it's, first. It's just more bounces. I was thinking about the free people, free passengers. I think we should solve the two passengers <laughs> one first. I'm sure we can do it. Okay, two-person case, parallelogram. Can we algebraically define where to drop the person off? Okay, so what we want here, do we want the time to drop or do we want the distance to drop? It's the same. Because we're we're holding, the only thing that is that we choose is basically the ratio between the walk speed of a person and the walk speed of a car. So what we want here, if we were thinking about this practically, if you're in the car... We kind of want the, um, where do I drop this person off? You don't want a timer. Yeah. So let, let's try and find the distance yeah. relative to speed of car, speed of person, um, total distance. And total distance, yeah. Okay. Little d. Little d is going to be the distance, the distance into yeah. the dr- into the journey that you would drop the first person. Yeah. Because once you've got that, everything else just follows. Yeah. 
Now, speed of car divided by speed of person. You if, just want the ratio of these things. Well, if, well, yeah, yeah. So, so, how long does it take person to get to destination if they walk? Oh, okay. You want the times? Well, it's equivalent. Well, the, the, this this will determine the stretch and squash. So we can't trust angles in this because the stretch and squash is because defined. what are angles? What are angles anyway? <laughs> <laughs> but we but we but we can't trust angles because we the whole thing is defined by how long it takes to walk and how long it takes to drive. Like there's yeah. ratios here. I think we've got one two few ratios there's something is there's a scaling factor that's okay. the word i'm looking for um and i don't really know how to deal with it so you're smart <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about the velocities of these things okay so i i'm at the moment i'm delving into the algebra on my page mm-hmm. um the velocities are just the gradients of these things because it's a distance time graph. yeah yeah um yeah dd by dt by the way listener we're, we're working this out now, but it's like taking ages. So if you want to just pause and try and work it out for yourself and see if we get the same answer as us, that's probably a good idea too. I feel like we're going to get there. Right, listeners. We both went in with algebra. We've both got different answers. I think we've gone through different methods. Um, they may well be equivalent. Yeah. Uh, so we've both got distance. The distance to drop the first person off yeah. uh, in terms of x, which is the total distance, yeah. uh, vp, which is the velocity of the person, mm. and vc, which is the velocity of the car. Yeah. Alex's is... Can I take you through my, 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 my theory? Okay. Um, I was using signs. I was constructing from the, from, from the parallelogram. So you know that... Uh, D1, oh no, oh no, it's already wrong, isn't it? Um, yeah, don't worry, this is wrong. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, mine, I'll, I'll tell you my formula and then I'll, I'll do the gist of how I got there. Yeah. So the distance is equal to the total distance yeah. multiplied by the sum of the velocities of the two things, the velocity okay. of the person plus right. the velocity yeah, of the car. Yeah, yeah. All divided by three times the velocity of the person mm. plus the velocity of the car. Right. What I did here is I... The velocity of the person and the velocity of the car you can get from just some basic triangles. Mm. It's just the gradients of some things. Mm. Um, so, for example, the velocity of the car is the distance that we're trying to find divided by what I've called T1 the first time. Okay. The, uh, the remaining distance, so the total distance left, x minus the d that we're trying to find, yep. over the remaining time, t2, hmm. is equal to the velocity of the person. Yeah. However, we've got a t1 and a t2 there that we need to uh, get rid of. Using the third diagonal line... Through the middle. Yeah, the one through the middle. It should be the average of the velocities, right? Well, it... Does it bisect it? It was not as nice as that. Okay. But I, I created the distance in terms of these things mm. and the time in terms of these things mm. and managed to get another because that's also equal to the velocity of the car yeah um, rearranging all of that I've got something which links T1 and T2 okay and so I put everything together eliminating yeah. those yeah, variables yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's half a page of algebra but it came down to this formula yeah and it should be 
So my 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 theory originally was that it should like everything should cancel because there's just scaling factors everywhere. Um, so maybe the whole thing can be divided through by like the velocity of the person. I don't know. You can divide oh, the top and bottom of the fraction by the velocity of the person, and you just get a fundamental ratio. Okay, so the velocity of which way do you want to do it? Let's take let's cut because cars are going to be faster, right? So let's divide by the velocity of the person rather than the velocity of the car. Okay, so my formula here is the distance you want yep. is the total distance um, one multiplied plus, by yeah. one one plus your ratio yeah. over three plus your ratio. Hmm. So as the ratio tends to infinity, ah uh, yes, this tends to one. I you should the, the full just you just take them all the way there. Yeah, yep. that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, and as the ratio tends to one, yep, this tends to a half. Uh, a half. Of the it does tend to a half. Yes, you know it's right. There we go. That's the yeah. <laughs> we found the limits. The limits at each end they match common right. sense. Yeah. So. Therefore, <laughs> 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 um, well, th uh, that's fairly nice thing. We're just finding a ratio of the total answer. Yeah, it's all and, and sort of scaling by, and so you can also probably divide the whole thing through by x as well, or something like that. Um, yeah, no, maybe not. Um, so l let's say the car was going along at forty miles an hour. Yeah, and average walking speed five miles an hour. Yeah, so it was the ratio is eight there. Average walking speed is three miles an hour. Uh, quick okay. cut, <laughs> and the car is going thirty miles an hour because I can read the speed limit in the area. I'd imagine, or maybe forty. I don't know. Okay. Well. Um, well yeah. Okay. Yeah. So ratio of ten. Ratio of ten. That's saying that you should go so one plus ten over three plus ten is eleven thirteenths of the total distance. Yeah, and so really, the way that Alex drawn it is he has x in the in the numerator, but really x should be outside the fraction overall because you're just wondering like what fraction of the total distance? what fraction of the total distance, and so you could probably divide. The entire equation by x, yeah, and you get the ratio between the distance to the the ratio yeah. of the distance is one plus the ratio of the speeds over three plus the ratio of the speeds. Yeah, for two people. For two people. And that was enough work that I'm not willing to go into the three thousand <laughs> case. Yeah, I mean it's more algebra, but I started drawing some pictures for it. Yeah, and it looks like you just get a longer parallelogram, but mm. with more bouncing going along. Yeah. Uh, you get an extra bounce. So an extra bounce at the top and an extra bounce at the bottom yeah. for every extra person on top of that. Yeah. So that feels like you could do it in general. Mm. But yeah, I agree. That's not... That's, that's not... Yeah. Listeners, if you want to make a general ratio formula, we'd be quite grateful. Any number of people yeah. have at it. So Harder problem. N passengers. You're welcome. We solved the easy problem for you. <laughs> now the hard problem should be an easy problem. Well, thank you everybody for joining us on the first episode of 2019. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I thought, I like we, yeah, we got it. Yeah, got, we got through a lot of stuff. So typically, what we do is we talk about all the different things that we talked about, just to remind you, because you might have listened to this over like two commutes or three commutes, even if you have a nice short one. Um, so, what was the first problem that we got into? Uh, rational geometry. Yeah, not so much a problem as you going, "Hey, <laughs> look at this thing I found." <laughs> yeah, uh, here's this offshoot of maths. Maybe the better way of doing it. Maybe the better way of doing it. There's quite a lot of abstractions that are better ways of thinking about things, but that take you away from reality. Hmm. And it's a question of valiance. Well, the finitists amongst uh, 
Mathematicians would argue that the real numbers are already taking away from reality. Mm. Despite the name. Yeah. They would say that it's not even legitimate mathematics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ultra finitists don't even accept really big numbers. They don't even accept really big numbers. Finite like a million. Foot, well, I think the limit is set higher than that, but yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you get away from using really big numbers? <laughs> they would argue how do you know these numbers exist? Mm. They're, they're happy with the number three. Because you can just keep counting. <laughs> they don't accept any uh, process where you say, oh, and you just keep doing that. Ah, I see. Okay. Not even, and you just keep doing that a million times. And then, like, let's just keep multiplying by two a million times and get to something. Yeah. Sure. Sure. You have to write the number down physically. Before it exists. You're Before. creating them. By naming them. You're... Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, I like some of the solutions. I think the the quadrants method of doing uh, Pythagoras theorem is very elegant. Yeah, yeah. I, I know it's kind of defined from that. That's almost like the inspiration for it. It seems. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. Still no. Um, can't work in my out in my head how they're going to do circles. But your answer to circles was pretty good. Like the set of points, or the line on which. <laughs> the the this is considered uh correct which is that q1 plus q2 equals a constant yeah 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 what do you think nine i think it was a good conversation i think it was a good conversation as well nine as well i don't think we need to solve things to get higher no no this. no exactly like goblin game okay this is the you have a deal you have to uh make with your opponent yeah. both of you present a number yeah and um, it's game proving lowest number loses but there's a cost to linearly with the amount that you put forward now that I've said that imagine if it was here like you lost the square of the number that you presented things <laughs> it just it just changes the, the cost grid that we were generating yeah, yeah. Um, I liked the odd even parity thing that we did mm. but I think that's pretty much our only result usually going low is good mm. but as with all of these um, game through things mm. it, it, uh, people the, know you're going low there yeah. will be some sort of e- equilibrium there yeah but they're hard to work out because there were so many options but if they ever allow half just say minus three and a half right that was the uh, that's <laughs> the answer to the to, to the problem um, I thought that was pretty good I like that we came to a solution of minus three and a half even if you can't actually put that <laughs> and I like that we worked out that it's basically just a just a game of dare essentially yeah four mm, six okay yeah I feel Would we you, didn't wh- solve it properly I feel we are uh, we didn't get game theory on it there's yeah we didn't get game theory on it and there's definitely a range of cases for like if you have 13 life and your opponent has 20 life like what can you do is yep. there a defensive strategy you can choose and things like that and then the last one was this car thing. Car picking up. Car picking yeah. up. Now, normally I'm the one who does, here's the thing for my life. But this, <laughs> is, this is you doing one of here's the thing for my life. Well, while we were in the car, um, we were having this conversation. Right. And uh, I then stopped it saying, right, I'll, I'll do it on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like the solution at the end. Yeah. That one plus the ratio of speeds over three plus the ratio of speeds. Yeah. That's what fraction of the way through the total distance. And does it does it work for the thing that we said about half? 
Oh, no, no, we did the trivial case where you take them all the way. And yeah. You, yeah, yeah, okay, no. It's a nice enough formula that you could use it. You quickly estimate your walking speed, because most people know that. Yeah. Most people who listen to this show know that. Yeah. And you know how fast the car is going to go on average. That's yeah. easy to estimate. Yeah. And so it's quite a quick calculation. Mm. And as R becomes big, you almost don't have to worry about it. Because it's just you get so close, close to the close end to that you might as well just go to the end. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. only matters when the ratios are smaller. Yeah, you might as well just wait at home in the comfort. Yeah, that might be nicer. Mm. Yeah, it's that sort of classic eight for me, eight or nine. We've come to something satisfying, but and yet there is more. Yeah, uh, it may be the whiskey in my system, but ten. Whoa! Um, but you posed a question at the end. How is that a ten? <laughs> that, that's fine. I we've solved my original thing. Your original thing was like five people, though. Well, it, there was only one person left over because the car could take ah, everyone yeah, but one. car capacity, yeah. It was a Rosie that went out and walked. You might as well essentially just bundle those people into... Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. well, that has solved your thing. Then, then perhaps I'm a little more satisfied than that, but I refuse to change my number cool. now that I've said it. Great. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming along to the show. Um... Didn't want to scare you. There was a brief pause over Christmas period, but you know, Christmas. And now here we are, uh, back on track. Looking forward to a great 2019. Do you have any goals for 2019, odds and evenings? Not in terms of listener numbers or anything, um, but... My year runs on a September to September basis. Oh, so you've already had your, like, academic year potential goals for... Yeah, yeah. this year is uh, engineering teaching. I think it might be nice if this year annually we potentially have the first episode with a guest on it. I have been wanting this since the start. Right. We're not an interview show. We're not an interview kind of guest, yeah. If you're coming on, you're uh, bringing a problem and then working through some stuff. Yeah, you've got to to join, yeah. Yeah. You have to put in in the work. My ideal for the show is, like, when when the listenership is so large that we get problems in, like, every week from other people, that it becomes one from you, one from me, and one from the listeners. Yep. Is is ideal. And then if we have a guest on, it's one from you, one from me, and, and one from the guest. Yep. It would be great. Um, but until that time, I think uh, we've got a good year ahead of us. Wonderful. Um, right. If you would like to contact the show, twitter.com forward slash odds and evenings. That's where you can find us. That's our home base. Is on Twitter. Um, you can also contact us by email. Uh, if you go to oddsandevenings.com forward slash contact, there's a form you can fill in there. Um, and we've got a Reddit, reddit.com forward slash odds and evenings if you'd like to post this episode. Uh, where else? We're on Facebook somewhere. And uh, uh, it's not populated. <laughs> if you'd like to find me, you can find me online at twitter.com slash speakmouthwords. I know a few of you do. It's not weird if you follow me for that, but know that I mostly talk trash and talk about my, my job of being a VC and stuff like that on there rather than odds and evening stuff. Um, and if you'd like to find Alaric, you can't, sorry. Yep. Yeah. I respond to the odds and evenings Twitter account. Alaric lives on the odds and evenings Twitter account. Sometimes there's conversations had. He doesn't like sign it as like. Alaric at the end of everything it's just just assume it's him and then uh, maybe sometimes it's me but who knows our contact page on the website links to our email account often our best feedback is on there yeah the best so yeah we mentioned oddsandevenings.com slash contact but the best stuff goes through there because it's long form yeah yeah often people give us uh, long emails or pdfs of solutions that's sort of thing, or just yeah. suggesting things that's it right uh, see you all next time bye bye Alex goodbye Alaric and then we hang out in the same room for five hours <laughs> afterwards. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>
Ah, people are going to be getting in and out. Some people, some passengers. No, there's no point. Is there any point in passengers traveling backwards? I refuse to get distracted by this. This is bad radio. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, normally, we're not in the same room. Yeah. So Alex, uh, Alex like talks. drawing diagrams and like pointing things at me, going, hmm. I'm, like, I'm not at that stage yet. The listeners need to, yeah, because they can't see what you're drawing. So, 